Well, good morning again, everybody. Glad that you've joined us today as we continue to talk about keeping in step with the Spirit. Um, hopefully, you've been able to come out of some of these messages with um, a sense to be able to dive deeper in your walk with Christ and that you've seen God show up in strong ways. I will say so far through this series, there's definitely been a few areas of surrender in my own life that I've known, as I've said, that I've needed to address, but I've definitely made a more concerted effort in terms of obedience and submission uh, in my life to resist those temptations, to treat things with grace and patience rather than anger or overreacting. Um, and you know, I gotta say, it, it really surprises you sometimes, the peace of God that can come upon you uh, when you are obedient, when you are doing the things that you should be doing. And it just takes a load off of your shoulders. And it was important for me to experience that because this week has been heavy. It's been a lot of different messes that I was able to step into with people. Um, people that are going through life changes. People that are grieving. Different temptations. Um, people that are in crisis. Um, and I was able to have those types of conversations. And again, they were all very heavy. But I was excited to see God at work in people's lives. And I've said this many times before. A lot of times when I'm preaching, I'm preaching for myself. It's things that I'm struggling with. It's things that I need to work on in my life as well. And that whole message that's been communicating the last few weeks of we are purposely put in the communities that we're in, whether that's our workplace, our families, our, the church body, places like that. It, it just made itself so evident this week in terms of different struggles and issues that people were having that I was able to be used by God through. And again, it's exciting to see how God has been working. You know, as I continue to study about walking with the Spirit, keeping step with the Spirit, and applying that to our lives, my goal is, my prayer is that, that, that God shows up in big ways for you as well. Um, today, we're still going to be in the book of Ephesians. We're going to go to chapter 5. Last week, we went through chapter 4, and we talked uh, about how Paul is stressing that the Ephesians walk in unity in that first verse, in holiness in the 17th verse. And today we're going to look at how Paul stresses that they walk in love and in light. Both topics that we've already touched on this morning in the testimony and in Sunday school. So I'm back to that with Sunday school and the same type of messages. But it's always good to see how God works in those ways. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read the first 21 verses of chapter 5 this morning. And it'll be up on the screen as well. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, as we continue to take this journey to look at the Spirit-filled life, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truths, to the Spirit working, so that we might walk closer with you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so as I look at that first verse, I think that that's truly an awesome calling to be imitators of God as his beloved children. And I think of all of the apple tree scenarios that I've experienced in my life. You know, as you look at parents and children, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And you think about as kids grow up, they become like their parents because that's what's modeled for them, whether that's for the good or the bad. Um, You know, you think about how sometimes we look at those examples and we see it all around us. Paul tells the churches to imitate him as he is imitating Christ. Again, showing how models work for us in our life. So many times we are left looking at our children and we see how they behave. Are they chips off the old block? Are we shaking our head, face palming, or are we proud? You know, and, he, and on the other side, the kids. I remember g- getting told all the time, you're just like your father. I took that as an insult because I thought I was better than him. I thought I was more funny, more sarcastic. I had better jokes. But it was in the orneriness that I was just like my father. But we look at what the word says here. And the, ball, the bar is set. The standard is set for us as believers. We are to be imitators of God. It's a pretty high bar. Seems doable, right? But you look at the standard, and it is we are to imitate him as we are walking in love. This is a command to all believers. We are to walk in love. And this is the agape love, the unconditional love of God, who again models for us what this looks like through the death and the resurrection of Jesus as he sacrifices himself. That is the agape love. It's a love that looks to others over and against ourselves. It is a love that loves without expecting anything in return. This is the love that we are to walk in as believers. Culturally, 
we see a different type of love in this world. Now, in the Greek, there are three words for love. You have agape, you have phileo, and you have eros. The godly love, the brotherly love, and the romantic love. All, when done properly, look to others first. But in our society, in our culture, we have a love that promotes self, that is self-seeking that looks to pleasures, gratification, a love that twists and perverts the true intentions of God and the models that have been given to us. The world elevates an eros type of love for self-seeking pleasure, not the eros of a strong, stable marriage, but rather a love that is selfish and one that is pursued at the cost of much. Many marriages in our society, in our churches, are suffering because they are selfish. Because they look to their own interests first, rather than to the needs of their spouse. We've all bought into this idea that I need to get mine. Or if, you know, we don't communicate what we think we're doing as love properly, and it's not being received then we have this resentment that builds and we continue just to build up walls to protect ourselves so we don't get hurt. We hunker down in our stubbornness and our selfishness all the more. That's not the type of love that we're called to walk in. Paul starts off by laying out this command and then he lists three things as warnings for the believers that I think can get in the way of fulfilling this command. They are not to be partnered with the sexually immoral, the impure, or the covetous. These self-centered practices here, this would be the opposite of that true definition of love uh, in terms of the agape type of love. Paul says there should be no hint of these things in a believer's lives. Sexual immorality was common among the Gentiles. It's totally inappropriate for the saints. It's common for non-believers today, still totally inappropriate for the saints. And we talked about sexual, sexual immorality a few weeks ago. I gave the statistics and I said how it's still a struggle even for those in the church. We define sexual immorality to cover a wide range of things, not just a very narrow understanding. Now even though this is a struggle, Many times we think we can just say, well, stop it and move on. But it's a little bit harder than that. Impurity is a broader term from the immorality that is mentioned there. It includes all types of uncleanliness. It includes, it's the, the opposite of holiness or of purity. A coveting lifestyle shows a greed for more and is essentially idolatry. These are the things that are to have no part in the kingdom or an inheritance. So let me ask you a question. Is there a hint of these things in your lives? As a believer today, anything immoral, impure, covetous, Paul goes on a little bit further to talk about how nothing unholy should be coming out of your mouth. Is everything coming out of your mouth thanksgiving? Is it praise? 
I think that we understand that we've all failed in these areas, even as believers. And I trust that the Spirit convicts you in those moments in your life. And yes, some of this is absolutely hard work to do, to work through. There are vices, there are addictions that are difficult to gain deliverance from. But do we trust in our mighty God or do we doubt? Do we doubt him when that next temptation comes? Do we desire that temptation? You know, and when we realize that we fail and we read these words that are written here, when we read that these things have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, does that make us nervous? You know, Paul gives these warnings for a reason. These warnings here are also listed um, as encouragement to the believers in Ephesus to not have these actions in their life. He's sending encouragement because he knows that the struggles that they're going through are real. He's not ignorant the fact that they're facing these types of temptations at every corner. He's sending these warnings because of what they've been saved from and to not return to that lifestyle because it is empty, it is hollow. There's nothing there for them there in that. Instead, they need to focus on what they're saved unto. And we'll get into that as he continues to guide and teach the believers to follow what he is teaching. But here in verse 5, Paul is describing a contrast. You see, Paul had already said that all believers have an inheritance in Christ. And this is found in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. If you want to write that down to, to look at that a little bit deeper. Focusing on verse 11. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So in verse 5, he is contrasting the believers with the unbelievers. And these types of verses, many times as we're reading them, can get sticky. It can get us into these conversations of, well, are we once saved, always saved? Can we lose our salvation? Do we have to keep doing certain things to maintain our salvation? These different thoughts that come in to create doubt in the salvation that we've received. You know, I, I thank God that I am not the, the judge in the matters of the heart, and I don't have to do that. I continue just to preach, Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's what matters. All of the other little things can distract us but you know for those who take this type of a verse as evidence for the lines that a you know a, a truly saved person cannot and will not have these types of things in their lives let me just suggest to you um, in the Bible there are many places that Paul is talking to genuine believers who are living carnal lives you look at the Corinthians first letter of the Corinthians is a horrible statement to the state of the church, the church, believers. But he says this about them in chapter 3. He says, but brothers, notice, notice the intimacy, but brothers, or but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, 
not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And you have to, you know, guesstimate time-wise. He usually spends two to three years at one church. Then he goes and does something else. He hears what's going on, and he writes him a letter. This could be as soon as five to seven years of them walking in their faith, and yet they're still living in carnal ways. You look at these types of things in almost all of Paul's letters. He is encouraging, he is warning the believers against these things that the unbelievers are doing because it shows a possibility that the believers themselves could do them as well. But we have to be careful because we don't want to attach works to salvation. The lack of inheritance in this passage in Ephesians is for those who are identified with those three things. Those actions identify them. They imitate what they are around. Now, they're identified as those things, but can a Gentile, can an unbeliever tell the truth? Can they love? Can they be kind? Can they be gentle? Sure. I mean, the saying goes, there's unbelievers that are more loving than those in the church. But their identity is still wrapped up in these things. Their identity is in sin. As believers, our identity is in Christ. That is who we are to imitate as we are walking. We have to understand where our identity lies. As a believer, can I still behave or do these actions that are described in this passage? Yes. It doesn't condone it, doesn't say it's right. It's not what we're supposed to do but we can still fall because we are not perfect. We still struggle through some sin. Those who are identified with these things, those who are propagating that type of permissive lifestyle, um, they should know that the wrath of God is coming for them because their identity is in sin and not in Christ. These people are identified as the sons of disobedience in our passage. A callback to chapter 2, verse 2, which says, In which you, were once, which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the sons of disobedience are following their master, Satan. They're following their ways of sin. That is how they are identified. It shows their unbelief, their hardness, like we talked about last week. Um, and Paul is admitting, he is confessing to the Ephesians that that is the way that you once walked as well, when you were hardened, when you were not a believer. But now, as you look at verse 8, but now you are children of light. So they need to walk as children of light. When you look at that identity marker there in verse 8, you know, in the Greek it says, you were once darkness, now light in the Lord. You are light. So walk actively, presently, is the tense of that verb. Walk as children, a child of light. This is what we are called to do. Walk in love and to walk in light. And this week, 
um, I was deep in prayer for multiple reasons. And I was meditating on a few of the prayer meetings that Elaine and I had gone to where she received prayer. And people would pray over her. We would lay hands on her. Um, and in one of those meetings, they prayed over me as well. And I can remember it vividly because I got an awesome image in my mind as they were praying. You know, it was set up, Elaine was kind of in the middle, I was behind her, and I had my hands on her, and there was a couple of kids there. And then when they moved behind me, there was a long pause. They were trying to figure out what to pray. What do we say to this pastor, to this, this man of God as his wife is going through this? And they prayed for strength. They prayed for strength to be like a rock for my family through the whole event. And as they were praying, the image that popped into my mind was one of a shield to shield the attacks that, will, that definitely came from the enemy in so many strong ways that year. It was a practical image. It was a tangible image that I could hold on to. And I want to elaborate on that just a little bit. See, being a Christian is not about just doing the right thing or being a better person. It's not about coming here on a Sunday and hearing a feel-good message and then go home believing, well, I got the right thing, so I'm good, and just leaving it at that. I was reminded so heavily this week that there is so much darkness around us. We are surrounded by it. The people that we are in community with are trapped in such pain, such turmoil, so many issues that they have no hope for because they don't know Christ. And when people are in pain, they instinctively put up walls. They close doors. They don't want to let anybody in because they don't want to be hurt even more. And as Christians, sometimes we're no better. We have our blinders on. We drive right past. We don't see the people that are hurting. How are you doing today? Fine. Just fine. Okay, move on. There are so many people that are trapped in darkness. But we are the light. And I want you to hear that, and I want you to cut through the technicalities in your brain for a moment. Yes, I understand Jesus is the light. He is the source. Assume that. Have good faith in that. There's an identity marker in this verse that calls you the light. As you are filled with the Spirit of God, you represent Him. You are His ambassador. You carry His light of the truth, of the gospel message to these people that are trapped in darkness. That is your role to walk in. There is darkness on all sides around us, but the light is in us, and it can shine brightly. Your word, O oh God, is a lamp unto my feet. It guides our steps, the next step that we take in our faith. He leads us to where we go into these dark areas to be a light for him. 
And I had such strong images as I prayed this week for so many of you individually that are going through hard things. Images where you are like a shield for your loved ones, your, your children, your siblings, your parents, your spouses, your coworkers who are trapped in darkness, who are being deceived, who are like huddled up in a ball not knowing what to do. And I had these images where you are just standing in a doorway acting as a shield of light so that the darkness can be just gone for a brief moment in their life while you interact with them in those five-minute conversations that you have. You have that opportunity to be Christ to them, to bring light into their darkness, to show the truth. I want to encourage you, church, Keep being strong. Keep being that shield. Keep bringing that light into their life. No matter how many times they want to deny it, no matter, no matter how many times they want to stay deceived, continue to stay strong in that because that is what we are called to do, to walk in that light, to walk with love because God loves them. Jesus died for their sins. And you once were in that little huddled ball in darkness until the light of Christ came into your life. You were the light of the gospel in their life. Shine. Paul warns them to be careful to be mindful of the ways in which they are walking in these next few verses, verses 11 through 16. They need to be wise with how they're spending their time, with how they're walking, because the days are evil, because the day of the Lord would be coming and people would need to wake up. People need to hear the gospel message. Verse 10, verse 17 are connected for us as believers. Pleasing the Lord is by understanding and doing his will. There's another difference that Paul is contrasting as well. Those, uh, the unwise, those are those that, you know, lack the knowledge. They simply might not know better. And then you have those who are foolish, those who know what's right but don't do it. Being wise, knowing the will of God is important, but it is included with this idea of being filled with the Spirit instead of other things. The other things here is being drunk on wine. Now, if you've suffered through that addiction or if you've had family members that have, you know the control that that has on people that are gripped by it. We heard a testimony about it today. Their actions reflect being led by drunkenness. You know, we can point to many vices. We can point to many addictions that can be in a person's life that show what foolishness looks like when you are being controlled by something other than God. You know, the contrast of this folly is found in what is controlling you. Is it some of these other things or is it the Spirit? As believers, we are to be controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. Not the things of this world, not the pleasures, not the fame, not the power, not the money, not the careers but being filled with the Spirit. 
Being filled with the Spirit in the Scripture has many examples, many results that it gives. Here in this passage, it gives four. Four results of being filled with the Spirit, all of them dealing with praise, where we are addressing one another with psalms and spiritual songs. You know, thinking of the impact that the Word of God has in our communications. How often is the Word of God on our lips in our conversations? Are we addressing one another with psalms? Are we addressing each other with the truth of the word? Are we singing his praises? Singing, making a melody in your heart. So uh, using our voice to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I'm one of those joyful noises. Sometimes sounds like clanging cymbals, but it's still a joyful noise unto the Lord. The melody in your heart, that is the inaudible praise that you have when you experience the awe and wonder and you just don't have the words to say. But in your heart, the Spirit is translating that to the Father. Giving thanks to God in all things. Giving thanks in all things may seem like a hard thing to do for sure. There are things that we go through that maybe we don't feel too thankful for. But it's possible to be thankful in all things when we recognize that God is in work in our lives for his glory and for our good. We meditate on words or verses like Romans 8, 28 for that type of understanding. You know, when we are filled with the Spirit, we recognize that he is in control. He is able to use the things, whether they're bad or good, whether they're evil or wonderful, things that happen to us in this world, he can use them all for his good. The fourth thing that comes from being with, filled with the Spirit is a willingness to submit to other people out of reverence for Christ. Now he does go on in that next section to describe six different types of people in three pairs to show how this submission and obedience plays out. Um, how they all relate to one another as into the Lord. But again, it goes back to this reverence to Christ. When God is in control of our lives, there is harmony in many areas. When the world is in control, there is chaos. But all of this comes back to love. We submit to one another out of reverence to Christ because we understand the love of Christ and what he has done for us. Once again, he models how we are to walk by showing us what the agape love is through his death and resurrection. And we are called to take that same type of love to the world. Jesus says, you can sum up the law and the prophets by loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving others as yourself. It is the command of Jesus. It is what has been modeled for us and we are now commanded to imitate that type of love as we are walking, as we are going through each day, to love unconditionally. We walk in unity, holiness, love and light as we are filled with the spirit who is guiding our steps he guides he doesn't force we need to take that step in the direction that he is leading us to go to not being swayed by all the shiny things around us but by the things that god represents by the things of light not being distracted or swayed by the things of darkness you know, we go into the darkness in order to be light for those that are there, 
to take the gospel message into those hard-to-reach places, sharing his love, sharing the good news. I encourage you to continue to do that this week. I know it's hard. Stay strong. You guys are doing wonderful. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we think about some of the hard things going on in our life and those that are around us, Lord, we, many of us know that we are secure in you and that is comforting. But many of the issues that we have, many of the, the doubts in our mind revolve around our loved ones who don't know you, who are living away from you, and Lord, our heart hurts for them. But Lord, they are people that we have an opportunity to influence and impact for the gospel message. So I pray that you would give us the words to say this week. I pray that you would give us the opportunity to be before them. And I pray for soft hearts. Lord, it is hard to love those that seem unlovable. But Lord, isn't that also a model of how you first loved us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your grace and your salvation. The experience that we have in that, Lord. For we once were in darkness, but now we are in the light. Lord, give us strength and perseverance through some of these trials. Renew us, rejuvenate us with your spirit. Send us your peace that surpasses all understanding as we deal with some of these hard things. Allow us to walk in a way that is worthy of the grace that we have received, to walk in unity, in holiness, in love, and in light. And may your name forever be praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.